So loving, loving Sairam, Dr. Shashank Shah, welcome to the series, Awake, Unite and Inspire. We are extremely happy, fortunate and blessed to have you on our program this evening. Before we begin the interview, can you chant some divine slokas? Sure, Brother Faiz, thank you for inviting me to this platform and happy to share my thoughts. Uh, let us commence uh, with a small Vedic prayer. Om Gananaam Tva Ganapati Gumhavamahe Kavim Kavinam Upamashravastamam Jeshtarajam Brahmanam Brahmanaspatana Shunvan Notebisi Dasadanam Prano Devi Saraswati Vajabhir Vajini Vati Dhinama Vitriyavatu Ganeshaya Namaha Saraswatyay Namaha Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihivom Om Tachayo Ravrini Mahe Gatum Yagnaya Gatum Yagnapatae Daive Swastirastunaha Swastir Manushe Bhyaha Urdvam Jigatu Beshajam Shanno Astud Dipade Shanchatushpade Om Shanti Shanti And brother, can you share a little bit of the meaning? Yes, so the first uh, uh, prayer was uh, to Lord Ganesha, who is the remover of all obstacles and also the remover of ignorance. Uh, it was a veneration of Goddess Saraswati, who is the principle of knowledge, of wisdom. And it was uh, offering our obeisances to the Guru, the one who dispels darkness and gives us the light of wisdom. The second prayer was to the Supreme Divinity, of praying for the welfare of all, for the end of all our miseries and our shortcomings, for the benefit and growth of nature, of prosperity, of the potency in the herbs, so that we may lead healthy lives, for peace and also for the well-being of all creation, humanity, birds, animals, and all creation uh, in totality. Uh, that, uh, both these uh, uh, prayers were meant for. Thank you very much, brother. That was very soulful and inspiring. So our very first question, how did you first come into contact with Sri Satya Sai Baba? Okay, so... Uh, in my case, uh, I'm, I was born into a family that have been devotees uh, for almost four generations. Uh, my great-grandmother uh, first came to Baba in 1965. Uh, her first visit was uh, in 1965 in Puttaparthi. Uh, and in those years, uh, one had to uh, travel uh, for almost one and a half days from Bombay, which is now Mumbai, uh, to Puttaparthi. It was that distant a journey, uh, traveling through train and bus and the last lap uh, across the Chitravati River was on Bulakat. And in those days, Swami would be waiting on the other side uh, for the devotees to come. And they would typically uh, live under the trees because only a few blocks of accommodation had been constructed. And uh, most of the devotees had to uh, have their arrangements under the trees and sometimes joint accommodation with several devotees living together in kind of a dormitory facility. There was one shed right near what is now the Ganesh gate. And, uh, uh, but those years were very memorable because Swami would visit them often and uh, uh, ask them, what have you cooked for me? And partake of it a little bit and would also give them Padnamaskar and would say that make the most of this opportunity because these opportunities will not come in the future. A little did the devotees then know uh, that in the decades ahead, uh, multitudes would flow into uh, this small hamlet, which would eventually become a kind of a spiritual headquarters uh, for all of India and the world, because it gave the message of the unity of all religions and emphasized on the underlying principle of oneness. Uh, Swami had also come to my great-grandmother's residence in 1975 in January. Uh, there's a very touching experience there. And then I'll uh, come to my own experience and my, my first visit to Puttaparthi. Uh, so this was in January 1975. And uh, my grandmother had been suffering from cancer uh, for a couple of years. And uh, she wasn't able to go to Puttaparthi. Uh, uh, 
and even when Swami would come to Mumbai uh, to Dharmakshetra, uh, she wasn't uh, able to visit there. Uh, Dharmakshetra is the headquarters of Swami's uh, organization in Mumbai. So in that particular year, when he visited the very first week of January in 1975, uh, Swami asked one of the senior devotees, uh, how is uh, Mrs. Shah? Her name was uh, Kanta Gauri Shah. So uh, they said uh, she's uh, how she was in terms of her health, quite bedridden. So Swami said, tell her I will visit her uh, this evening. And so the message was sent to our home. And uh, this was way before I was born. And uh, uh, they said Swami will come in the evening. And Swami has said, please don't make any arrangements. He will not uh, accept anything in terms of fruit or anything. He will just see uh, her and leave. And uh, true to his word, uh, Swami came that evening. Uh, interacted briefly with the family members, went straight inside my grandmother's room, where my uh, my great-grandmother's room, uh, where my great-grandfather and a couple of other family members were present. Uh, she was sleeping on her bed, and there was a chair uh, for Swami, and Swami sat on that chair. And then uh, 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 Swami said, uh, what do you want? So she said, uh, Swami, I know uh, this disease is an outcome of my own karmas. So I pray to you for your grace so that I can go through it with equanimity. So Swami put his hand on her head and he said, definitely, so it be. And then she said, Swami, I also want your Padmaskar. Padmaskar means touching uh, his uh, lotus feet, uh, but she couldn't get up. So Swami uh, asked for a small table. Uh, the table was placed next to the bed where she was sleeping. And then sitting on his chair, Swami lifted his feet and put them on the table. And uh, uh, she turned on her side and uh, took a namaskar. And uh, uh, Swami blessed her and then again interacted briefly with the family members and left. And three months later, uh, on a Thursday, that morning, uh, she said, uh, today's Thursday. Uh, today, Swami will come in the evening, make arrangements for the aarti, etc. So all the family members were wondering how Swami will come. He was in Puttapati. Uh, but uh, that was she, that's what, what she said that morning. And that evening, uh, uh, when everybody was uh, sitting around for tea, uh, she uh, silently concluded her journey. And uh, probably uh, Swami did come for her and uh, took her along with him. So that has been uh, the journey of my great-grandmother. Uh, fast forward uh, uh, three generations. And in my case, uh, I was uh, blessed by Swami's grace. Uh, he blessed my mother and my grandparents in an interview. Uh, that I would be born. And a year later, on a Thursday, I was born. And uh, I, my first visit to Prashantinilayam was uh, as an 18-month-old 18 18 young boy, uh, uh, a baby. And uh, I was uh, uh, sitting with my mother. Uh, one of my first experiences with Swami, which I don't recollect, uh, but which my mother has shared with me. I was sitting with my mother on the lady's side as an 18-month-old 18 kid. And uh, as soon as Swami came out of his residence, I pointed in Swami's direction and I told my mother, see there, there is light, there is light. And my mother was wondering, where is the light? And as Swami was moving around to give darshan, I kept on pointing in Swami's direction and said, uh, see, mommy, there is light, there is light. So I was apparently not able to see Swami. I was uh, only able to see light or uh, the divine effulgence. And uh, that was my experience of which I don't have any recollection now because it was as an age when uh, uh, I have not been able to capture that in my memory. But uh, this is what my mother had told me. And it was in that visit itself, uh, Swami had uh, written Om for me. Uh, that is what is called Akshara Bhyasana or initiation into a formal education. And uh, on a slate, uh, Swami used to bless uh, uh, small children in those years uh, by writing Om and uh, blessing them. Om is actually Om Ekaksharam Brahma, which means Om is verily the embodiment of the supreme divinity. In one syllable, uh, it is uh, it captures uh, divinity. Uh, that word captures divinity. It is, uh, uh, it, 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 it is symbolic of the three states of our existence. And uh, the fourth state, which is beyond, and which is actually the undercurrent in which these three manifest. Uh, so a lot of uh, uh, philosophical uh, a message of Om, but effectively it is the beginning of one's uh, journey uh, into education. And uh, uh, that was uh, way back uh, in 1983. And uh, uh, fast forward uh, to 2002, 
one and I was in final year of undergraduation and uh, uh, I had this desire to visit uh, Prashantin. I had the desire to study in Swami's university. Uh, in, the in the intervening years, we used to visit Prashantin every year, especially during Diwali, uh, because we being Gujaratis, uh, the Gujarati New Year is in the day subsequent to Diwali. And on that day, Swami used to give uh, Namaskar to all those who have come from the state of Gujarat. So we would uh, benefit from that opportunity. And uh, in subsequent years, uh, I developed uh, this desire of studying in Swami's university, uh, learning about uh, the kind of experiences his students had in his university and the kind of education that was provided there, uh, which was a fine blend of secular and spiritual education, and which focused on the holistic personality development uh, of all the students, uh, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual. Unlike uh, uh, the contemporary education systems, which are uh, quite uh, skewed in their approach because we've given too much of focus on memorizing and rote learning. Uh, here was a system which was modeled on the ancient Gurukula system, which aimed at uh, making complete human beings, uh, excelling both in life and living. And uh, the focus being the end of education is character. So that is uh, the kind of inspiration I had. And I wanted to be a part of uh, Swami's University for the MBA program. The problem was that uh, the entrance exams to the MBA program were uh, scheduled around the same time when I had my final year exams of the third year undergraduate program in commerce. So I wouldn't be able to write the entrance exams and uh, I would have to miss a year uh, or rather wait for a year for the next exam to come up. And so I uh, was in two minds because uh, uh, it is not the, the concept of break years is not popular in India at least not then, almost two decades ago. So I was praying to Swami, I in fact wrote a letter to Swami in uh, August and sent it with one of the Bal Vikas teachers to Prashantinilam, uh, praying to Swami that he should do something so that I can uh, be a part of his MBA program in 2002 itself and uh, uh, seeking his grace. And uh, two months later, uh, just around Diwali time, which was in October, November, uh, there was a news, there was information from Mumbai University where I was studying uh, that for the very first time, uh, the final exams uh, across all courses and programs have been advanced uh, by almost six weeks. Uh, that's very unusual because for decades, uh, the Mumbai University was known for only postponing the exams, not for advancing exams. And this was the first time the exams were being advanced by six weeks. And uh, as a result, all the exams were over by the first fortnight of April. And I was able to uh, give the exams at Prashantalim, uh, which was scheduled for the 9th of May, 2002. So uh, it was his way of uh, uh, facilitating my entry into his university uh, by advancing the exams. Uh, this was also an experience I shared. And it's quite fortuitous on exactly this very day, 18th September, 2002, uh, I gave my very first talk in Swami's presence as an MBA student. And there in my talk, uh, I had mentioned about this very experience of how Swami's grace advanced the exams of Bombay University. And I was able to be a part of uh, Swami's university for that batch in 2002. So uh, that is a brief into my journey into Swami's fold and uh, uh, my first, very first experience uh, with Swami, even before I entered his university as his student. I continued to be there thereafter for 12 years my MBA, my MPhil, uh, my PhD, and also my postdoctoral research. Thank you. Brother, very, very inspiring. And while you were speaking, you know, I was recollecting the last time we had this conversation about setting up your interview. We had looked at Saturday, the 18th of September. And when you look how divinely coincidental and orchestrated that it is the day that you gave your very first talk. Then one and eight is nine. So that's a divine yes. number. And as you said in your WhatsApp message, now we had eight questions and I sent only a little while ago one additional question to make it nine. So it is all divinely orchestrated. Thank you so this much also, for sharing. This is also the ninth month. So there is one more nine there. So 18, nine. <laughs> 18th date and 9th month, yes. 
Very, very good. Wonderful. So, brother, you've had so many wonderful experiences with Swami. It's been a privilege, a joy, and an honor to have gone to school there and studied and been under the watchful eye of Mother Sai. Can you share two of your most memorable experiences you've had with Mother Sai? Yes, so uh, the very first experience uh, started in the very first year uh, when I was pursuing my MBA. Uh, it was in the form of this one question that Swami continued to ask me. And that question was a very mundane question. Uh, where do you come from? Uh, that's usually the question Swami asks every student. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? And he would usually joke about the place, uh, uh, the name of the place uh, from uh, where that person comes from. For example, there is a place called Machili Patnam in Andhra Pradesh. Machili in Hindi means fish. So Swami would joke if somebody, if he asked, where do you come from? And that person says, I come from Machili Patnam. Swami said, oh, that's why you look like a dry fish. You are so thin. Uh, and if someone says, I come from Kerala and Kerala is known for tall coconut trees and that person invariably would be tall. And Swami would say, oh, that's why you are like a coconut tree. Swami would usually joke and that would typically be like an icebreaker because you're so much in awe of him as a personality. And he would try and, uh, and, try and bridge that gap by these uh, simple conversations. In my case, it was a little different. He asked me where I came from. I would say I've come, I come from a Bombay Swami. He said, oh, Bombay, okay. And then it continued that way for the entire first year of my MBA program, where do you come from? Bombay, Bombay, Bombay. Uh, that uh, the, the vacation uh, between the first and the second year, which was May 2003, uh, Swami blessed me along with 30 others to accompany him to Kodakanal uh, for the summer retreat, which was one of the shortest, just nine nights, but very memorable. And the Kodai trip is uh, like a dream come true for every size student because there we get to learn from Swami, staying with him in his own residence, uh, eating with him uh, four times a day, four sessions with him where he would share some of the most insightful messages for life and living uh, and uh, being under his watchful eye uh, so that we know uh, how he lives in his day-to-day -day life because we're usually exposed to only his uh, public uh, uh, image and his public uh, life, which is in, in full uh, public view. Uh, but the life inside his residence, uh, right from the time uh, you wake up in the morning till you conclude your journey, and it's a real eye-opener how his life is one of perfection, whether inside or outside. So uh, there too, he continued that set of questions. But first day, first question, where do you come from? It's a Bombay Swami. So he said, oh, not Bombay. Now it has become Mumbai. There was a change of name in 95, uh, Bombay being uh, the name given by the colonizers and Mumbai being the original name uh, because Mumbai Devi is the a presiding deity uh, of, of the city of Mumbai. So from that, the name Mumbai comes. There's a lot of history associated with that. So he said, it's not Bombay, it's Mumbai. So I said, okay, Mumbai. Uh, last day, same question. Where do you come from? I said, Mumbai, Swami. Oh, Mumbai. Okay. Again, the whole of second year of MBA continued. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? Mumbai, Swami. Mumbai, Swami. Oh, Mumbai. Okay, okay. It went on and I completed two years of the MBA program and I was wondering to myself, why Swami asking me the same question? It's been two years. Uh, technically, you complete your course and leave the university. In my case, Swami blessed me to continue uh, for, for PhD. Uh, and, uh, uh, but the question wasn't uh, ceasing. And so I did some research to find out what is it that Swami uh, expects as answers. So with the primary school, whenever Swami used to ask that question, he used to say, Swami, uh, Swami used to ask any kid, where does he come from? Uh, they would say, Swami, we come from you. Uh, but when the university kids uh, said the same thing, the university students, Swami would say, how can you come from me? You're so tall and fat. I'm so thin and short. How can you come from me? Bad answer. So that is the way Swami used to joke. Uh, but I said, there is some inner significance to this for me. So uh, let me do some research. And I found out that Swami appreciated the answer when you would say, where do you come from? I come from, we come from you, Swami. So I took a lot of courage uh, because that was uh, kind of an out of syllabus question that was meant for primary school children. But yeah, I was uh, com just commenced as MPhil and again, Swami asked me that question. Where do you come from? This was the day we were taking his blessings for the MPhil program. So I said, I, I paused, I looked into his eyes and then I said, uh, from you, Swami. And uh, that was the very last time uh, Swami asked that question to me. 
because I think I had learned the lesson and the journey had begun. What is this journey I'm talking about? What is this lesson of where do you come from? During my two years of the MBA, in one of the discourses, I believe it was Shivaratri 2004, uh, Swami said that on an envelope, when you are sending an envelope, there is typically a from address and a to address. Uh, the from address gives the source of where the envelope is coming from. And the to address gives the destination where that particular envelope is heading. If there is no from address and only to address, the envelope will reach its destination. If there is no to address and only from address, the envelope will go back to where it has come from. But if there are neither from, from nor to address, then such letters, such envelopes end up in the dead letter box. And then Swami pointed to all the students and said, you are all like envelopes in the dead letter box. And then all the students were puzzled why Swami is saying that. Swami said then, you all do not have a to address nor a form address. You do not know where you have come from. You do not know where you are heading. What is the use of a journey which does not have a source and the destination? You must know where you came from. You came from God. You are verily the children of immortality. And hence, where will you go back to? You will go back to where you have come from, back to divinity, because that is your divine destiny. So you must know where you have come from, because that is the first step in your spiritual journey. So in my experience with Swami, in the very first two years, he clarified this bit and uh, commenced the journey with the awareness that we have all uh, come from divinity, and uh, just like uh, the railway carriage, which has uh, on it mentioned the date of manufacture and also the date of expiry, uh, we all have a date of manufacture and a date of expiry. And the date of expiry, the engine goes back to the yard in which it was made for getting dismantled. Just like huge ships are dismantled after that purpose is over. Similarly, after our life's purpose is over, we are back to divinity uh, for the next course of action as uh, he deems fit. Uh, or has these laws deemed fit. So this realization of we come from divinity uh, was imparted by Swami in the first two years. Uh, another experience as you uh, uh, asked for. So this is another very interesting experience. Uh, this was, uh, so one is about the source and the other is about the journey. Uh, this experience is about the journey uh, towards divinity. This was uh, the final month or two of our MBA program. Uh, in Prashantanilayam, there was a tradition among the students uh, that as they conclude their uh, stay at Prashantanilayam, uh, they would offer some gratitude, uh, token of appreciation, gratitude to Swami. So our batch uh, decided to offer Swami robes. Uh, he had uh, stopped wearing colorful robes. He used to wear only orange colored robes in those two years. Uh, we, want, we were yearning to see Swami in white and yellow and maroon as he would wear for birthday, Christmas, Janmashtami, Guru Purnima, and Convocation. Uh, and so we presented uh, these robes to Swami uh, with the prayer that he should wear them. And also a lot of gratitude letters. So when, uh, when our warden, uh, Professor Shiv Shankar Sai, and a few students from our batch went to Swami's residence, he accepted the letters, but did not accept the robes. He said, tell the students, I have a lot of robes. If they want, I will give them robes. I don't want their robes. So we were very crestfallen. Swami didn't accept our uh, gift. We were discussing in the room. And then I was there in that room in the hostel. Uh, and we, I, I, was, I was talking to my classmates. And I said, if Swami says that he will give us the robes, let him give. We will place them in our altar uh, and take them along with us. So one of my classmates said, why don't you tell that to Swami tomorrow in the mandir? I said, what is the need for telling Swami? Here is Swami. I showed Swami's picture in the room. Every room in the hostel has Swami's picture. I said, here is Swami's picture. I'm telling Swami, Swami, please give us robes so we can present them to our parents as your uh, a, a blessing. And uh, the dinner bell rang. Uh, there, uh, there's a bell system after uh, for every session. So the bell rang and we all went for dinner. Next day morning, Swami was going to the hospital, but he uh, stopped near the hostel, called for the warden and said, uh, ask all the boys to come to Mandir in time today. He didn't give the reason. So divine command, we were all in Mandir uh, on time, before time, about 2000 of us, university and school. And when we went to the Mandir, we saw that the entire portico was full of piles of robes. 
and uh, Swami was standing in the middle, uh, smiling. And as we went and sat, uh, Swami commenced the distribution of the robes. Uh, Professor Anil Kumar and several senior professors uh, were asked uh, by Swami to distribute the robes to the students. And this went on for about an hour or so. And after the robe distribution was over, I was sitting in the ninth or tenth row. And uh, with folded hands, I was looking at Swami in gratitude. And from where Swami was sitting, he looked at me and then nodded his head. And I nodded my head uh, uh, in, in, an, in an act of uh, acknowledgement and uh, gratitude. Uh, we went back to the hostel that evening and the conversation was that uh, uh, what we spoke in the room and what we prayed in the room to the photo, uh, Swami listened to it in the mandir and the very next day distributed the robes to thousands of us. Then one of my classmates said, this is a fantastic experience. Why don't you share this uh, the next time you get an opportunity to speak in Swami's presence? I said, yes, definitely I will. And that opportunity came about a month later. It was 8th of April, 2004. We were all in Vrindavan. And that particular day, I arrived late for bhajan, just in time uh, before Swami came and took his chair and sat on his chair on the stage. I managed to sit in the very last row of the students' block and uh, perspiring, panting, and uh, Swami was looking at me. And a couple of times he looked at me and I was happy. But then he kept on looking at me uh, several times. And that kind of made me think because if Swami is looking at students uh, very frequently, devotees would typically be happy that Swami is looking at them. Students would typically be concerned that probably they have not lived up to Swami's expectations or they have committed some mistake about which he's uh, giving them a stern look or, uh, or a very conscious look. Uh, uh, forcing them to reflect. So my mind was running back and thinking what all mistakes I did make in the previous days or weeks. And uh, uh, the bhajans concluded, Aarti was over. And then uh, Swami would usually give three sessions. Three sessions is an opportunity for students to be with Swami in his residence in Vrindavan in Bangalore. And in the evening, Swami would uh, sit on the jula and talk to the students. Uh, about uh, spiritual themes, they would sing bhajans and some students would get opportunities to talk and so on and so forth. So uh, we were waiting and that day, uh, the line in which I was sitting uh, got the first token. So it was by token system sometimes, sometimes it was class-wise. So it was token system that day. So I landed up in the very fourth row uh, close to Swami's jula. And imagine I was already worried that Swami is probably unhappy with me. And now I'm so close to Swami. Uh, that I may get a sound thrashing. So my heartbeat, uh, the speed increased. Uh, 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 and hence, uh, uh, I was just looking down, uh, hoping uh, uh, for the best. And Swami came and sat in the jula and he exchanged some pleasantries with some of the students. And then he looked at me. I was also holding a letter in my hand. The previous week was my birthday. So I uh, was holding a letter and uh, uh, Swami called me and he took the letter. He opened the letter and read and I'd written there, today, today is my birthday. It was written a week earlier. I hadn't got the opportunity uh, to give the letter to Swami. So Swami said, oh, today is your birthday. I said, no, Swami, not today. It was last week. He said, okay, share your thoughts with your friends. They are all sitting here. So I, he said, go and talk. So I spoke uh, in Swami's presence. And it uh, occurred to me that my classmates had said that when you get an opportunity, you should share that experience. So I... Uh, narrated several experiences and finally I concluded with this experience of the robe uh, which we had in the previous month saying that Swami is always listening to us whether it is in his divine presence whether it is in his omnipresence uh, there is no difference between the picture and the physical Swami because it is the feelings the intensity of our prayer that matters and not the place where it is made. I concluded that and then said how we all were lucky to get robes from Swami. And then I sat down. And the moment I sat down, Swami said, I knew this boy will talk about the robes. That's why even before coming down for darshan, I have asked Satyajit to arrange all the robes. So uh, Swami uh, then sent uh, two teachers. Uh, one was uh, Dr. Ravi Kumar, who is currently the warden of the Vrindavan campus. Uh, he uh, went up and when he went there, he saw that uh, there were already robes piled up uh, outside uh, Swami's room. He had instructed uh, uh, Brother Satyajit, who was then assisting Swami, uh, to keep them ready. Uh, so basically, Swami had already decided that he is going to give robes to the Vrindavan students that day. 
because the Prashant and Lim students had received the robes. But he gave me the opportunity to be the instrument in doing, uh, in, in talking about the robes. So a context is set in uh, uh, for uh, the distribution of the robes. And there is some, some element of suspense, some element of, uh, of, of joy and of, of, uh, of uh, satisfaction and whatever, uh, the kind of uh, uh, rasas or the, the flavors of life. So uh, what is the message here? He had already willed it before he came down for darshan that he wants to distribute the robes. Uh, I thought that I came late for bhajans. I thought that I landed up in the last row. I thought that Swami is looking at me because I have committed some mistake and Swami wants me to reflect on that. I thought that by coincidence, my line came first. I thought that I landed up in the fourth row. I thought that I wrote the letter and so Swami called me. I thought that I remembered that I have to talk about the robe. I thought I finally managed to talk about the robe. No, he had already willed that all this will happen. I was only an instrument in the process who had the opportunity to be the instrument. So this entire journey of this creation and divinity who is the divine director of this creation is that we have to be instruments in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna tells Arjuna in the 11th chapter, Nimitta matram bhava savyasachi, O savyasachi, O ambidextrous Arjuna, you be my instrument. I am using you to accomplish the task for which this entire uh, battlefield has been staged. You are not the doer. I am the doer be the instrument and act with that conviction. And then in the last chapter, but it doesn't end there. The Gita doesn't end there. Where does the Gita end? In the 18th chapter, the 73rd verse. Finally, when Arjuna tells Krishna, Karishye vachanam tava, I will do your bidding. I will fulfill your command. That is when Krishna concludes the Gita, holds the reins of the chariot of Arjuna and the war begins. Our journey in this world or our journey to divinity will begin the day we say, I will do your bidding. Karishye vachanam tava. Till then this entire dialogue, this entire conversation between Krishna and Arjuna on the battlefield and the background of the battlefield is to communicate to us that till the devotee tells God that I will do your bidding as your humble instrument and you are the very source through which I am functioning, until then, the true spiritual journey will not begin. I think both these important lessons Swami imparted in my early years in his university and uh, the subsequent years uh, were building on uh, the foundations uh, that Swami laid uh, in those two years. I conclude this question with these two examples. Thank you very, very much, brother. That was so very inspiring and thought-provoking. So many life lessons learned at his divine lotus feet. So, brother, what does Sai Baba mean to you today? Ah, yes, uh, this is a very uh, difficult question uh, because uh, uh, the kind of relationship that we share with Swami, in fact, in the Aarti, uh, we, we all sing, Mata Pita Guru Daivamu. You are mother, you are father, you are God, you are divinity for us. So he embodies all of those relationships because we have lived all those relationships with him and we are able to relate to him as his child, as his disciple, as his very, as his very embodiment because he used to address us as embodiments of divinity. So we are verily his embodiments. And uh, beyond that, uh, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, uh, so that is about our relationship with him. But about who he is, uh, we very usually uh, say uh, Swami is God, Swami is divine. I am reminded of an experience and because uh, Brother Faiz had suggested that I should uh, share experiences wherever possible. This was again in Kodai Canal. Uh, Swami asked everybody in Kodai Canal in that trip, 2005. Swami said, who am I? So all the students uh, started giving us, Swami, you are divine. Swami said, Kadu, Kadu, no, I'm not. Then he said, Swami, I'm your avatar. He said, no, no. Then uh, someone said, Swami, you are Shiva Shakti Swarupa. You are embodiment of Shiva and Shakti. And Swami said, that I definitely am not. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so it went on like that. Finally, when nobody could answer the question to his satisfaction, 
Swami said, I am I. That is what I truly am. I am I. What is the meaning of that? When Moses had asked the, the Lord about his name, what is the answer that the Lord gave Moses? Have we ever analyzed that? The Lord told Moses, I am that I am. That is the name the Lord gave to Moses millennia ago. That was the same name Swami gave himself or his identity. He revealed this, I am I or I am that I am. He cannot be described. The Vedas say, Yatho vacho nivartante aprapya manasasaha. Divinity is beyond words. He cannot be, ex it cannot be. If we end up saying he, it cannot be explained in words. Manasasaha. It cannot even be comprehended by the mind. Both language and comprehension become futile before explaining what divinity is. Divinity is truly an experience. So for me, I would say Swami is truly a presence, a living presence at all times. In fact, the most outstanding aspect of Swami was not his miracles because he himself trivialized them. He said the value of miracles in my mission is that of a mosquito on the back of an elephant. They are only my visiting cards. I introduce you to my divinity, those miracles, and the job is over. With respect to his service projects, he said this was to fulfill the word he gave to Mother Ishwaramma. With respect to his relationship with those in whose family he was born and his friends and his playmates, he gave them up when he said that the golden collar pin was lost on his way to school. So all the things that we associate with him, his, his physical associations, his miracles, his uh, social service projects, he trivialized all of them. What is he? Swami said, if there is any way you can describe me, it is love, love walking on two feet as one Westerner explained, um, described Swami. And I'd like to quote the experience of Dr. Frank Baranowski of how he saw the aura of Swami through the Kirillian camera way back in the 1970s when he had come as an investigative researcher to Brindavan. And the aura of Swami, which was pink in color, was beyond any other aura that Frank Baranowski had ever researched. Royalty, heads of state, heads of the church, famous personalities. He had interviewed and analyzed the aura of all of them. But the aura that he saw around Swami was not of any other human aura he had ever seen because it spread far into the horizon and it was pink in color. And whenever he walked in the middle of his devotees, his aura of pink engulfed those devotees, diluted their aura and transmuted that into a pink aura, which means he was sharing and giving his love to them and making them absorb that love. And that is why the importance of his darshan and being in his presence. So Swami is that indefinable presence then and now, which is what his truly is. In fact, uh, Frank Baranowski, when he was giving a talk in Swami's presence, his legs were shivering. And I myself have experienced that several times in the early years when I was talking in Swami's presence in Brindavan. In fact, in giving that talk on the robe and on earlier occasions, uh, that when I was talking, my legs were shivering. Now, it wasn't that I feared public speaking because right from my school days, I've been a public speaker but the legs were uncontrollably shivering. And Frank Baranowski mentioned while he was talking that you see my legs are shivering. It is not because I have any fear of public speaking. It is because the power of love that is emanating from this principle sitting in our midst, this body is unable to bear that. It is not used to this much of unselfish, selfless love. And it is those vibrations that the body is getting used to for which these feet are shivering. So that is the power of Swami's presence. The other aspect of Swami is who is Swami for me? He's perfection. Every aspect of Swami's life is one of perfection. If you see, he established the ashram in the 1950s and for 60 years, he led the ashram from the front at Prashantamilam and showed how an ideal ashram should be run right from its schedule, right from allotting rooms, right from giving interviews, right from planning its festivals, every aspect of the ashram, he led from the front till the very end. He started the service organizations in 1960s and for the last and for the next 50 years, 
he led them from the front appointing officers giving instructions about running of centers of samitis giving guidelines about how to be handling issues differences of opinion uh, issues connected with celebration of festivals bringing about unity of religions every detailed aspect of swami's functioning of the organization he has himself covered and led from the front he started the central trust in 70s and for 40 years showed how an ideal public charitable trust should be run today the central trust is acknowledged even by the unesco with consultative status this is an outcome of the 40 years of hard work swami invested in his lifetime in the 1980s he established the university and for 30 years he showed how an ideal university should be run how a university providing higher education can blend secular and spiritual knowledge to make holistic individuals who can be role models in society and there are 20000 of them in different countries leading very diverse professions but with the harmony of the head heart and hands as swami has groomed them in the 1990s he started the super speciality hospitals and for 20 years he led from the front to show how humanized healthcare can be made available in the 25 years since the inception of the hospitals 10 million free outpatients have been treated 10 million and half a million free tertiary level surgeries 500000 surgeries have been done at swami's university where the patient is not a bed number but an individual with a body mind and soul swami redefined healthcare leading from the front and finally in the 2000s he uh, set up or or commenced the what drinking water supply projects and in about a dozen years between 95 94 95 and 2006 he provided drinking water to 15 million people across india which is probably the population of all of west indies uh, and uh, and uh, uh, in three states of india and uh, uh, one charitable trust along with a leading engineering company and the government of these three states providing drinking water again swami led from the front so he is truly that perfection that he has been inspiring us to be living in our lives and he showed that in his own life i am reminded of what lord krishna told arjuna in the third chapter he tells arjuna name parthasti kartavyam trishu lokeshu kinchana nan vaptam avaptavyam varta eva cha karmani in all the three worlds there is nothing that i i meaning that i i am i am i i i need to do there is nothing that i need to do i am beyond all action yet i descend from time to time to set an example and do the prescribed duties so that humanity may learn from that example and rise beyond the mundane and attain the ultimate so in my belief and my experience swami is that supreme perfection he showed in his life how the great rigvedic victim great rigvedic dictum atmano mokshartham jagat hitaya cha for one's life should be for one's self emancipation and for contributing to the well being of the world swami showed that in his life how these two goals can be achieved in parallel and what did he want us to learn from his life and as you said what do you, what is what does sai baba mean to you i am reminded of a conversation between professor sampath the third vice chancellor of swami's university and swami this was a time when swami was very upset with the students and he had stopped talking to them because that was his uh, best uh, quote unquote weapon uh, distancing uh, uh, his devotees his loved ones physically away from him was a way we used to enable them to reflect on the mistake they have made so the students were very uh, sad and they were praying to swami to talk to him and this went on for a couple of weeks finally the vice chancellor intervened on behalf of the students and swami after all they are children this is the age and stage in life please forgive them and then swami said sampat do you know what i expect from them i want each one of them to be then he pointed at himself he said i want each one of them to be like me being like me does not mean wearing an orange robe and having a mop of hair being like me means being selfless and full of love from top to toe this is what i expect from my students and devotees but they are whiling away their time in trivial pursuits and i am very upset about it this is only one way of teaching them the importance of using time well 
to achieve what I expect from them. So effectively, I personally believe that Swami is verily my perfected form. I am his diluted form, clouded in ignorance because of all the carried forward baggage over several lifetimes. And his journey is to help me traverse this journey, remove these veils of ignorance and achieve oneness with him, supreme perfection. Brother, thank you so much for sharing that, that wonderful explanation and also taking from the teachings of Swami and why he has really come. And as you so rightly said, he himself has said, many of you <clears throat> come to ask of me petty tinsel and trash. Very few of you have come to ask of me what I have come to give, which is liberation. But he is such an indulgent avatar. He says, I give you what you want. So you could want what I have come to give. So it leads me to the next question, brother. Swami says, I am God, but you are God also. The only difference is I know that I am God, whereas you are still on that journey. We are still a work in progress. Help us to understand the magnitude of that statement. When Swami says, I am God, but you are God, does it really mean that there's no difference between Atma and Paramatma. So when he says, I am God, is it that I am the total, absolute, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent consciousness? It reminds me of a Sufi mystic who said, you are not a drop in the ocean, you are the ocean in the drop. So brother, help us to understand the magnitude. And also from an individual perspective, some of us say, how, how can I be Swami? How can I be God? You know, I tell little lies. I do little wrong things. I you know I, I'm still very much attached to my body. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm attached to family. Help, help us to understand the magnitude of that statement, brother. Yes. So I think uh, it's very important to understand uh, what that I means. Uh, we very often uh, relate ourselves uh, to this uh, body-mind uh, conglomerate. Uh, uh, Swami always used to say, uh, you are not one, but three. The one you think you are, the body. We think we are this body. This body with all its functionalities, the five senses of perception, the five senses of action, the five... Uh, uh, tanmatras, which is uh, the inner, uh, 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 which is uh, the experience of uh, the five senses of uh, perception uh, with the internal instruments, and the five uh, gross elements, uh, which is uh, tanmatras is shabdas parasagandha. The five elements are earth, water, fire, air, and ether. We usually consider that this body, which is made up of these 20, is what we truly are. As Swami said, you think the one you think you are, the body. And then Swami said, the one others think you are, the mind. We think others think, and we also relate to that, that we are the mind. Now, what is the mind? The mind actually is a, is a combination of four functions. They are called antahkaranas, the inner instruments. These are Bahya Karanas, the external instruments, the 20 that I mentioned. These Antar Karanas are the four. What is that? Manas, which is the mind. Buddhi, which is the intellect or the discriminative or the discerning faculty. Chitta, which is the memory, the subconscious mind. And Ahankara, which is ego or sense of body identification. We usually, the external world considers us to be these four because they associate us with what is going on here? And then Swami said, but the one you really are is the soul or divinity within. Now, if we analyze these three, at the outermost level, we have, we have the concept of the five sheets, the panchakoshas, annamaya, pranamaya, manomaya, vijnanamaya, anandamaya kosha. Kosha means sheets, coverings. So the most, the outermost is Annamaya Kosha, the food sheath. This entire body is made of the food sheath. We are what we eat. And that's why the emphasis on vegetarianism. 
because what we eat from the plant kingdom is what will be more sattvic or noble when we kill a life and consume that the violence and negativity of that is what becomes of this form so the annamaya kosha is the external food sheath then pranamaya kosha the breath sheath the breath that we take is what the life principle is the five types of breath prana apana vyana udana samana the one in breathing the one out breathing the one which helps in digestion the one which is all over the body and the one on which the soul exits these are the five kind of of life breaths then manomaya or the mind sheath then vijnanamaya the intellect sheath and the anandamaya which is the bliss sheath the one where the bliss is experienced because of all the external interactions of the body and mind but what is it that powers all these sheets what is the electric current that makes all these inert elements powered that is the soul which we really are and that is the soul which is encased in all these five sheets that is the soul which is the electric current which powers all these five sheets and enables them to function the fundamental mistake we make is to identify ourselves with all these external sheets and forget the fact that these sheets are inert they have no value of its own if they had value why would a dead man who has all these instruments not function at all because the soul has left the body and hence the dead man despite having all these instruments is unable to function it is the soul which gives the life force to enable all these five sheets to function and this human body mind complex to operate and that soul is what we truly are and as swami had said time and again and as advaita vedanta says brahma satya jagat mithya jivo brahmaiva naparaha there is no difference between that individual soul and the supreme soul that alone is the truth all these external things are false false means relatively unreal the wording for that in vedanta is sad asadhyam anirvachaniyam it is truth but relative it is untruth in absolute terms and it is inexplicable because we are considering ourselves to be relative when we are actually absolute and hence this sense of maya or ignorance comes in and it is this maya or ignorance that prevents us from realizing that we are verily divinity and that is why the entire effort of swami was to continuously enable us to realize that we are not body we are not mind we are the soul and that soul is not different from the supreme soul because as you quoted the sufi saint vedanta says that you are verily the waves of the ocean while the waves are millions and billions the ocean is one we are all millions and billions of individual souls but those are actually waves in the ocean of divinity and hence the supreme divine divine principle which is satchit ananda being awareness and bliss which is satyam gnanam and anantam truth wisdom and infinity we truly are a speck of these supreme principles of divinity and that is why swami would say lights are many bulbs are many but the current lighting all of them is one the bodies here are 8 billion but there is one current the current of the soul that lights up all these bodies and that is the divine current that is what we are that is what swami is and hence we are not different from him this is also mentioned in the bhagavad gita where lord krishna says mamai vamsho jeeva loke jeeva bhuta sanatana it is a part of my eternal being which is present in all creation that is what we are as the soul which is a part of that eternal being and the narayan suktam describes that this is present as the blue shining light between the 9th and 12th vertebrae and it is that blue shining light which is what we truly are and it is that light which shines up all these inert elements which we consider truly as reality the problem is our uh, approach to life is very external focused the whole objective of spirituality is to change this 180 degrees and enable us to look within so that we can identify our true identity 
which is the soul, which is one with him. Thank you. That is why Swami said that I am God and so you are. You are not aware of your true divinity. This is what that true divinity is all about. Thank you very much, brother. You have put it so simply that even a child can understand. Very, very wonderful. Thank you for that wonderful explanation. I want to jump forward to one of the other questions that we have. And sometimes in life, we see the hand of Swami in all that we do. We look back in the, uh, on our lives over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and we sort of connect the dots. You know, this was Swami's inter intervening here. Swami's guidance brought me to this point. And then things happen where you are not able to even explain what has happened. And it leads us to the next question that Swami says, love my uncertainty. Sometimes we cannot gauge or fathom even the physical words that he says. We interpret it according to our level of understanding. But from his perspective, it means so much more. Can you share a little bit on this particular statement of Swami, love my uncertainty? Yes, so uh, uncertainty itself, the word comes uh, uh, from our understanding that Swami will behave in a particular way or life will pan out in a particular way or we will uh, do a certain set of things and the outcomes will obviously be in a particular way. This is a misnomer because in the Bhagavad Gita also it is said, kadachana. You have only right over action. You do not have right over results because the results are not a direct outcome of your actions. They are outcome of several factors. We can simply substitute that with the term divine will because it makes it very easy to understand that these multifarious factors which are beyond us are basically divine will. Now I'll go back to the year 1947 when Swami had written a letter to his brother in that we are aware of uh, the three statements Swami made. I have a task, I have a vow, uh, if you remember that, right? In that the fourth statement Swami made is, I have a unique definition of devotion. Those devoted to me should look at pleasure and pain, victory and failure, success and victory and defeat, success and failure, equanimity. That is true definition of devotion for me. So this whole thing of loving my uncertainty actually means that whatever happens to you in life, that is my will. Good is my will. Quote, unquote, bad is also my will. Success is my will. Failure also is my will. Victory is my will. Defeat also is my will. This failure, this defeat, this loss is considered negative because we look at them in a temporary and short-term basis. But he is planning in the long-term and we are unable to see the long-term. There's a very beautiful example to understand this. When we are watching a march past, uh, uh, for example, the Independence Day celebrations in many countries, there is march past happening. The one who is sitting in the very first line is able to see only the first contingent passing in front of them. The one who is sitting in the, the highest line in the stadium is able to see probably two or three contingents. The one that is going in front, the one that has already gone and the one that is coming. The one who is shooting the event from the top of a skyscraper is able to see the entire contingent of 25 uh, marching squads, when started, when it will end, how much difference is there, has anybody making a mistake, etc. That is truly how all of this functions. We know only the present. The one sitting in the first row and seeing just the current contingent is probably us. The wise, the evolved are probably the ones sitting in the tallest uh, uh, seat of the stadium and they can probably see three contingents. God who is running this entire creation is like the one sitting on top of the skyscraper and he's seeing our evolution from the time it began till the time it ends. So he knows what is the cause of what, what is the effect of what, and he's planning from a macro purpose for each of our lives. We are unable to perceive it because we have entered this movie show in the middle. 
he has seen the movie show from the beginning and will see to it till the very end we look at these movie shows in the middle and hence have some notions about the story not being exactly how it should be the director making the mistake or probably the actors not doing the job well so loving my uncertainty basically is accepting this fact that whatever happens is good for us whatever happens is an outcome of our own actions in 1999 on the 9th of april while swami gave a discourse in trai vrindavan swami said god is like a postman why did he say that how many of us praise the postman for the good news in our post we don't we got it postman is only delivering it how many of us blame the postman when there is a bad news he just delivered he is not responsible probably it is our mistake and the bad news has come to us swami said god is like the postman he delivers your letter or karma to you you can't blame him for its contents you have got what you are destined to and then swami gives a caveat i'm 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 uh, uh, quoting from what he said he said but unlike the worldly postman god can change the contents of the letter to sincere prayer and sadhana what is that prayer and sadhana and therefore this we have to refer to that definition of 1947 true prayer and true sadhana swami has said in another occasion in trai vrindavan swami said you know what is best for me you know what is best for everyone let thy will prevail this is the best prayer because essentially whatever happens is god will god's will in fact this entire law of karma also which we fear which we consider as negative which we think is punitive is not it is a corrective law most benevolent law it is put into place by divinity and it is actually he running this entire show to the law of karma and he interferes where he thinks is the right time for our own spiritual well being swami had once said all the prayers that you make for worldly things don't reach me there are several principles and positions that have been created by divinity and each of them takes care of those different aspects of creation and its functioning there are only three areas in which i accept direct prayers what are those three areas selfless love selfless service and selfless sadhana if you have any prayers in these three areas these three directly come under my jurisdiction if we look at it with a little bit of a micro lens we'll realize swami is talking about the path of action the path of devotion and the path of knowledge karma bhakti and gnana on these three paths he is the direct guide and guardian for anything else he is left it to the law of karma and he will because that is his own doing his own will and it will fructify and that is what he said love my uncertainty if it is happening this way you didn't expect it this is also good for you if it is happening another way in very positive which you didn't expect even that is good for you whatever happens is good for you this is the best mantra for every spiritual seeker thank you so dr shashank shah we express gratitude and appreciation to you for taking the time to share your personal journey your thoughts and perspective based on your the teachings and understanding that have come from within it has been quite an elevating illuminating thought provoking interview and i am sure the viewers that are going to look at this will be inspired and not only inspired i think they will be provoked into action so as we bring this divine interview to an end can you chant one or two more shlokas and let's have a fitting end to this wonderful and divine interview i don't know if you sing bhajans and would like to render one or two but if not if we can do one or two shlokas and bring this yes. interview to an end yes so before that i'll just also like to bring to uh, your listeners and viewers attention uh, there are several aspects of uh, spirituality that i cover based on swami's message and the insights from world scriptures uh, in a series called spiritual reflections 
and it's a channel on YouTube uh, where they are posted as short five to seven minute videos, uh, which are based on talks I have given in several parts of the world. Uh, so uh, feel free to uh, watch them, share them. I think they'll be really value adding in your spiritual journey. Uh, I'll conclude. Uh, Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramaya Sarve Bhatrani Pashantu Ma Kaschit Dukkha Bhag Bhavet Bhag Bhavet Swasti Prajabhya Paripalayantam Nyayena Margen Mahin Mahisham Gau Brahmane Bhya Shubhamastu Nityam Samasta Loka Sukhino Bhavantu Samasta Loka Sukhino Bhavantu Sarva Samasta Loka Sukhino Bhavantu Om Shanti 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 May all the beings in all the worlds be supremely happy Jai Sairam